Chapter Eleven of Stories of the Victoria Cross by Frank Mundell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lucknow Cavanagh. Among those shut up in the residency at Lucknow was a civilian named Cavanagh. He had passed his whole life in India and was perfectly acquainted with the language and customs of the Hindus. During the siege, he had taken an active part in several sorties, and had on every occasion greatly distinguished himself. If danger in any form had to be encountered, Kavanagh was sure to offer his services. When Sir Colin Campbell was advancing to the relief of Lucknow, it was of the first importance that information should be conveyed to him concerning localities and other matters, so that the force within and the army without might be able to act together. Sir James Eltram and General Havelock were quite at a loss in the matter, for they knew no native who could be trusted with so important a mission. For anyone but a native to try to pass through the rebel forces and the hostile population meant detection and certain death. Kavanagh heard of the difficulty in which his chiefs were placed, and at once volunteered. Sir James Eltram at first refused to accept his offer saying that he thought the attempt so dangerous that he would not have asked any officer to go. But there was no time to waste, so at length Sir James gave his consent, thinking, no doubt, that if anyone could succeed, it was the gallant civilian. Accordingly, at half-past seven that night, Kavanagh appeared before his commander disguised as an irregular soldier of the city with a sword and shield his face down to the shoulders and his hands up to the wrists were coloured with lamp black his dress consisted of a yellow silk courtar over a tight-fitting white muslin shirt a yellow-coloured chintz sheet thrown round his shoulders a cream-coloured turban native-made shoes and a white waistband. So complete was his disguise that his friends failed at first to recognise him. Having received his instructions, he set out on his perilous mission, accompanied by a native guide, and proceeded to the right bank of the River Gumty. Here, he says, we undressed and quietly forded the river, which was only about four feet and a half deep, and about a hundred yards wide at this point. My courage failed me while in the water, and if my guide had been within reach, I should perhaps have pulled him back and abandoned the enterprise. But he waded quickly through the stream, and, reaching the opposite bank, went crouching up a ditch for three hundred yards to a grove of low trees on the edge of a pond, where we stopped to dress. My confidence now returned to me, and with my tulwar resting on my shoulder, we advanced into the huts in front, where I accosted a matchlockman, 
who answered to my remark that the night was cold. It is very cold. In fact, it is a cold night. I passed him, adding, that it would be colder by and by. After going six or seven hundred yards farther, we reached the iron bridge over the Gumty, where we were stopped and called over by a native officer. My guide advanced to the light, and I stayed a little back in the shade. After being told that we had come from Mundron, our old cantonment, and then in the possession of the enemy, and that we were going into the city to our homes, he let us proceed. Recrossing the Gumty by the stone bridge, we went by a sentry unobserved, who was closely questioning a dirtily dressed native, and into the principal street of the city of Lucknow, which was not illuminated as much as it used to be previous to the siege, nor was it so crowded. I jostled against several armed men in the street without being spoken to. When issuing from the city into the country, we were challenged by a watchman, who, without stopping us, merely asked us who we were. I was in great spirits when we reached the green fields into which I had not been for five months. Everything around us smelt sweet, and a carrot I took from the roadside was the most delicious I had ever tasted. A farther walk of a few miles was accomplished in high spirits. But there was trouble before us. We had taken the wrong road, and were now quite out of our way, in a park which was occupied by the enemy. I went within twenty yards of two guns to see what strength they were, and returned to the guide, who was in great alarm, and begged that I would not distrust him because of the mistake, as it was caused by his anxiety to take me away from the pickets of the enemy. I bade him not to be frightened of me, as I was not annoyed, as such accidents were not infrequent, even when there was no danger to be avoided. It was now about midnight. We endeavoured to persuade a cultivator who was watching his crop to show us the way for a short distance, but he urged old age and lameness. Another whom I commanded to come with us ran off screaming and alarmed the whole village. We next walked quickly away into the canal, in which I fell several times, owing to my shoes being wet and slippery, and my feet sore. The shoes were hard and tight, and had rubbed the skin off my toes, and cut into the flesh above the heels. In two hours more we were again on the right road, two women in a village we passed having kindly helped us to find it. About two o'clock we reached an advanced picket of sepoys, who told us the way after asking us where we had come from and whither we were going. I thought it safer to go up to the picket than to try and pass them unobserved. The moon had risen by this time, and we could see well ahead. 
by three o'clock we arrived at a grove of mango trees in which a man was singing at the top of his voice i thought he was a villager but he got alarmed on seeing us approach and astonished us too by calling out a guard of twenty-five sepoys all of whom asked questions here the guide lost heart for the first time and threw away the letter entrusted to him for sir colin campbell i kept mine safe in my turban the guard seemed greatly relieved on finding it was not their terrible foe who was only a few miles in advance of them after walking for half an hour we got into a swamp we had to wade through it for two hours up to our waists in water and through weeds but before we found out that we were in a swamp we had gone too far to recede i was nearly exhausted on getting out of the water having made great exertions to force our way through the weeds and prevent the colour being washed off my face it was nearly gone from my hands i now rested fifteen minutes in spite of the remonstrances of the guide and then went forward passing between two pickets of the enemy who had no sentries thrown out it was near four o'clock in the morning when i stopped at the corner of a grove of trees to sleep for an hour which the guide entreated i would not do but i thought he overrated the danger and lying down i told him to see if there was any one in the grove who would tell him where we then were we had not gone far when i heard the english challenge who comes there with a native accent we had reached a british cavalry outpost my eyes filled with joyful tears and i shook the sikh officer in charge of the picket heartily by the hand the old soldier was as pleased as myself when he heard from whence i had come and he was good enough to send two of his men to conduct me to the camp of the advance guard one of the british officers met me on the way and took me into his tent where i got dry stockings and trousers i thanked god for having conducted me through this dangerous enterprise and the guide for the courage and intelligence with which he had conducted himself during this trying night when we were questioned he let me speak as little as possible he always had a ready answer and i feel that i am indebted to him in a great measure more than to myself for my escape kavanagh delivered his letter to sir colin campbell who considered his act one of the most daring feats ever attempted when the relieving army advanced against lucknow kavanagh was beside the commander all the time and his intimate knowledge of the country was of the greatest benefit when he once more returned to his friends he was warmly praised for his devotion and welcomed as a hero in undertaking this enterprise kavanagh was prompted by a high sense of duty believing that he could be of use to the commander-in-chief and he was also anxious to perform some service 
which would give him the honour of wearing the glorious Victoria Cross. His ambition was gratified. He received the coveted honour, and was, as a further reward, appointed Assistant Commissioner in Oud. End of chapter 11